I've never heard that song before, but I sure like that line that says, I'm sure glad the truth is not contingent upon me. I'm basically glad that everything is not contingent upon me. I want to give you a little bit of an update before I, this is kind of a commercial, so just hang tight there for just a second. Last week I said we were going to try to do some things for this Hurricane Katrina, and I have a little bit of an update, and then on Tuesday night, or excuse me, Wednesday night? Wednesday night. Our elders met, and I'm 41, I'm the oldest guy, so I don't know, the, the overseers of the church met. And we talked, and then I worked with Carly Zufall. Carly, are you in this service, or I thought I saw her. What? There you go. Yep. And uh, it's, it gets more confusing as the minute goes, because things shift so quickly. But let me tell you kind of where we're trying to ramp up, and what we'd like to see Hope do, and then next week we'll change it all. So, uh, but this week, here's what we'd like to do. First of all, immediately... What we'd like to see happen is um, if you are interested in being part of any kind of uh, uh, helping through a local agency, you can do that. Uh, we will have, I'll send out an email this week, which will let us know some of the agencies, Second Harvest, Hope for the City, and Kingdom Oil, you were saying, the three, right? Oh, okay, Hope for the City and Kingdom Oil, the same thing. But those agencies could use food donations, could use other donations, um, and, and you'd be able to uh, help there. We were looking at sending people up to go through training and going up to Camp Ripley, but uh, that whole thing's a nightmare. I don't know if you know about that, but that whole thing, they don't know what's going on. Uh, they thought they were going to get 3,000 people, and now they don't even think they're going to get 300 or less than that. Or I guess if you're from Louisiana and you think, do I want to live in Minnesota? Now nah, I'll stay in the flood. I don't know. But <laughs> something, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. And so uh, then, uh, we also encourage you, we're not going to take finances here, but we encourage you to give it to reputable organizations, such as those ones I mentioned, World Relief, World Vision, uh, Red Cross, Salvation Army, anything like that. If you'd like to do that, that's fine too. The big thing we're going to push towards, though, is a thing that we've done here at Hope before, is called Operation Hope where we just decided to load up some vans and go. And we're going to play this by ear when we're going to go down. When we went to Grand Forks in 1997, it was after the big push. You know, people go up there for a month or two, and, they, you know, there's all this help, but then everybody leaves, and they leave them with this incredible mess. And so what we're looking at doing is doing one or two or even possibly three trips down, one around Christmas time, one around after the New Year's, and then one possibly as late as spring break if necessary. And I've been in contact with, uh, through a friend of mine, through some, a church down in uh, Mississippi, and we have other connections too. And, but, like I said, this could all change next week. That's where we're aiming though, so we just want to let you know, if you want to, and we're looking right now at the week of the first trip of being December 16th through the 23rd. And I know that's right, it messes up a lot of people. Uh, for school and work and whatever else. But if you'd like to think along that way, that's kind of where we're leaning. Take down 10, 20 people or whatever and just go work down there for a week or so. So, just to kind of catch you up to, up to speed of what's happening. And like I say, we're, it's hard to plan because things change every week. And so, but we're doing, doing our best to try to do something like that. All right, end of commercial. When we think of the, the word heroes... That word has a, has a real interesting mixed bag for me. Because my generation, I was born in 1964. Anybody else? 1964? Yes, it was a very good year. No, 
Not a single person was born in 64 in this room. Oh my goodness. 65? 85? There you go. Nineteen sixty four was a very good year. Let me just tell you that right now. Uh, in sixty four, uh, things started to change. Between the years of nineteen sixty three and nineteen sixty eight, things changed in America quite dramatically. People talk all along now about postmodernism and everything. That's when it started. With some of the cynicism and some of the anger, and the Vietnam War was in its height. Three um, assassinations took place, JFK, RFK, and MLK. Don't have three initials and you'll live, I guess. But the, there was all these things. Everybody was cynical about, about you didn't trust anybody anymore. You thought there was a conspiracies that killed JFK and maybe Lyndon Johnson did it or the CIA or Castro or who knows. The whole thing is in flux. Shortly thereafter, we elected a guy by the name of Richard Nixon and, of course, uh, Nobody really liked him to begin with, but then he made some bad moves and was forced out of office and uh, was, had to resign. And ever since then, every president since Nixon has had some scandal that we've made a big deal out of. We're time where we have a loss of heroes. If you don't believe me, look at the superhero movies out. Now, I love superhero movies. Um, but, but like, look at Spider-Man, which is great movies. Uh, I highly recommend them. But Spider-Man, he's kind of got this identity crisis happening, especially in the second one. One of the few, in my opinion, and I know I'll get hate mail because of this, one of, my, one of the few sequels that was better than the original. Eh? No. Look at that. Oh, I got a few people saying yes. All right. Good. Um, but he's got this identity crisis thing. And you got this hero who's got an identity crisis. Or you got Batman. Batman Begins. By the way, no offense to Spider-Man, but the best superhero movie ever made. Batman Begins. Anyone? Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. The rest of you ushers will dismiss you now. But Batman begins. He's a knight on the town. The next day he's laying in bed with all these bruises and everything. Now, that doesn't happen in the old days with superheroes. Superheroes are superheroes. I mean, they don't get hurt. But Batman does. And Superman, is, we don't have a, we're a time where, where heroes are, are, are not heroes like that. And, and in fact... Up until a few years ago, I would say that we didn't have a lot of heroes in our country. And I think there's a day that changed that. And it was four years ago today. I think 9-11-01 changed some things. And that day, and I still vividly remember that scene right there. I believe I saw it live. And I'm, Hamlet, are you in, a, are you in this service? Hamlet, no, no, no. Um, I think we were sitting there watching after the first plane had hit, and then we saw this one. I, I think so. You see it so many times, you forget. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, you know, this, this could be it. I mean, it is an it-it, like nuclear bombs everywhere, and what's going on? And the days that followed that, and the, and the spirit of some of the heroes, these guys, and this, this picture kind of immortalizes the herodom of some of the people of that day, and some of the reports you've heard. I was watching something this week even on what was taking place in some of these firefighters going up, up, up the World Trade Center when, when all these people were fleeing and they said, no, there's people still alive up there. And they all perished. They all died. You just think of that and you go, these are ordinary, these are ordinary dudes. There's nothing really special about these guys. But on that day, they step up to the plate and they were heroes and they're always remembered as that. It's heroes. 
And I think that did something for our culture. Now, I think we still have an edge of cynicism about us, but I think there's something about us that wants people of courage. We're in a series right now called Our Hearts on Fire. It's our last week of this. We are going to start a series next week. Uh, I've known that we're going to do the Gospel of John since the time of the spring retreat. And I always try to think of these kind of catchy titles for things. And I, I was struggling for this one until this week it hit me, the catchy title for the new series on, on John. We're going to call it The Gospel According to John. Isn't that catchy? <laughs> Thank you. Actually, it hit me and I went, that's a great title. I wonder if everybody's used that ever before. It's going to be called the gospel. Anyway, we're in the last week of looking at the book of Acts. We're taking six character qualities and trying to let those land in our hearts before we move on to John. And we looked at the issue of the first week of desperation. Are you desperate for God? If you're not desperate for God, you're not going to want him. If you're not desperate for water, you won't, you won't enjoy that, that, that drink. That's what you have to be. It starts off with desperation. Then we looked at the issue of forgiveness. Are you a person who is in the habit of receiving from God forgiveness and freely granting it to other people? Then we looked at the issue of suffering. Are you a person that understands suffering to the point where you can go through it and say, God, I trust you in the midst of this dark time. I don't see you, I don't feel you, but I trust you that you're going to help me through it. And we talked about God-centered living and, and under, having a picture of God that's not an, an error of who God is, but letting God be God in an awesome way so that it changes your life and you have that picture of God. And last week we looked at, is the Holy Spirit something that you're drunk on? Is the Holy Spirit something that you're allowing to fill you up in every way? All those you need, I need to go through those real quick in order to understand today. Otherwise, today is just a, a lesson in behavior modification. I'm not into that. I'm into transformation, but if you don't get the first stuff, today won't make a whole lot of sense. We have one more thing I'd like to look at from the book of Acts, and this is in Acts chapter 4. It starts in verse 12, but I need to give you the context. Acts chapter 4, we've talked about this a couple times, even in this series. Acts chapter 4 is where Peter and, and John heal a crippled guy, and they uh, are, the religious rulers come to them and say, what's going on here? What are you doing healing someone? By what name or authority do you do this? And Peter and John reply, remember it said, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit opens his mouth and he talks, and he talks about who Christ is and that Christ did this, and he ends his talk with this phrase. I know we didn't talk about this last week, why don't you go to the next slide there, Mark. Uh, verse 12, he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which, by which we must be saved. Whew. That is a radical phrase. This is Peter's last part of his little defense of what he did. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Wow. That, that. You've got to understand the context. He's standing there with people who are going to kill him. And he ups the ante and says, if you don't have reason to kill me, let me give you one more. This Jesus Christ, he's the only one that can save you from your sins. No one else, no other religion, including what I came from, Peter would say, and he'd say to these Jewish leaders, even Judaism, without Christ, without being completed in Christ, it ain't going to cut it. That's quite a closing statement. Just got to realize how, it, you know, the wall shook. 
Then verse 13 says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, ordinary guys, fishermen. Don't, don't, don't put Peter somewhere other than that. Peter stunk, okay? Peter was just an ordinary fireman kind of guy. Unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And then this is the coolest phrase. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, the issue I want to talk about this week is that kind of boldness, that kind of courage, that kind of courage of being with Jesus. It says they noticed, saw the courage, realized they were unschooled, ordinary Joes, people from the Iron Range. Anybody? Anybody? Goodness sakes. It's a good thing you like Batman Begins. The uh, ordinary people, but they were with Jesus. And somehow that gave, that gave him all the courage necessary to do this. Now what is courage? I had a great time this week. I, I went on the Google thing and I just looked up courage. I got some great quotes. I just want to share with you. Great quotes from, about courage. First one is by uh, Edward Vernon Rinkenbacher. Anyone? No. He was, a, uh, he was a World War I ace. He was the number one. He shot down more uh, German. He was a German too, uh, but he was an American citizen. And he shot down more German, um, you know, the dogfighting thing, you know, they did in World War I. He shot down more German planes than anyone else. He says this, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. So if you're a scaredy cat, you're perfect for courage. Because you can't do something doesn't require any courage to do something. Like, it doesn't call any courage for me to move my hand like this because I have absolutely no fear of moving my hand like this. <laughs> Churchill. Winston Churchill. This is a great quote. Courage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. <laughs> Isn't that great? Andrew Jackson. This is awesome. One, per one person with courage makes a majority. Earl Wilson, an author, wrote, Courage is the art of being the only one who knows you're scared to death. Mark Twain. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, but not the absence of fear. Georgia O'Keeffe says, I've been absolutely terrified every moment of my life, and I've never let it keep me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. That's courage. C.S. Lewis, and I got the good, I got the good one, the, the, the cigar one. I found it this week. <clears throat> Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. In my life, I want to say something like that. <laughs> we just kind of go, that is awesome. That was really cool. It like has a lot of depth to it. Courage is not just one of the virtues, but it's the form of every virtue at the testing point. Isn't that great? Gosh, that's great. John Wayne, we'll take it back down to the sublime here. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. <laughs> the Duke. 
And then the author Ambrose Redmoon wrote, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than one's fear. The timid pressure, the, uh, excuse me, the timid pr uh, presume it is a lack of fear that allows the brave to act when the timid do not. But to take action when one is afraid is not afraid is easy. Let me say that again. But to take action when one is not afraid is easy. To refrain when afraid is also easy. To take action regardless of fear is brave. As I think of, of courage, I think there's one instance that, that characterizes courage more than any other. The person who feared death more than anyone else, I believe, so much so that he sweat blood. And that was Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, when he embraced his cross, and if you look at the medical, what happened to him, those of you who are in med school or know people that are, or can talk to your doctor, there's a condition that happens when you are so stressed out it can actually kill you, you'll start sweating blood. And yet Jesus did it. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 is the personification of courage, I believe. And it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His act of courage, like Andrew Jackson said, one person with courage is the majority, helps us, verse 3, <clears throat> Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So out of all this, I want to fashion a definition. This is my definition taken from a bunch of different sources and what I believe courage is. Courage is this, I believe. It's a quality of spirit that enables one to encounter difficulties and danger with firmness and without showing fear, even though you are afraid, but you, without letting it grip you. Trusting in a favorable outcome that supersedes the danger or difficulty. Now, that, that last part there, the last part that says trusting in a favorable outcome is between the difference between courage and stupidity. Right? That's the difference. Otherwise, otherwise this whole courage thing would, you know, I can go to the top of the IDS building and think, I'm going to be courage. I'm going to be courage. Uh, I'm going to have courage. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Not courageous. Dumb. Capital D-U-M. Dumb. <laughs> Difference. Courage is looking at it and saying, I see the, the danger or the difficulty, and I'm going through it. Why? Because of the favorable outcome, or what, what, what some of the Puritans called a happy outcome. I see a happy outcome, and I trust in that happy outcome. Now, there's one passage in Scripture where I think courage is, is lit up more than any other passage. And it's found in Joshua, but I want to, to give you the background of what's going on, I, I want to spend just a few minutes giving you a little bit of the background. In, if you remember what took place, if you've ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you'll, you'll know what's going on, is that these people have been in slavery, up to, up to two million people, they think, at that time, were in slavery for four, or 400 years. Moses comes, and through a variety of circumstances, leads them out of Egypt. They get out of Egypt, they get into the wilderness, and they start complaining, whining, and just become wimps. They're the biggest group of wimps. They drive Moses crazy. So he leads them all over the place until finally they get right to the edge 
where they can look across and they can see the promised land, the, prom the, the land that God has promised to them. And they decide to send in 12 spies to check out the land and report back to them. They pick 12 guys. It's one of those committees where they made a huge mistake because they got 11 wrong. You got a committee, it's got 12 members, you got 11 bad members. They send them out. They come back. I want to read from Numbers 13 just to give you the background of Joshua chapter 1. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. And they got all this fruit and you know, the, the, the grapes are like this big and it's just awesome. But... The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak must have been, you know, neighborhood thug or something. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And then the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Okay, great land. Scary people. Then, one guy stands up. If you, we almost named our kid after this guy, Caleb. I just love this guy. Caleb stands up, silences the people before Moses, and just says this, we should go and take it. We should take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You know, Caleb saw the same thing they saw, but he said, let's do it. As a matter of fact, if you're, if you're uh, familiar with the end of how this all works out, because then they, they don't do it, you know, and they, they go and wander for 40 years and the whole thing, and after the 40 years... The only one who gets to go back of this group is Caleb. Caleb's now 80, and he says, bring it on. <laughs> I'm as strong now as I was then. I love Caleb. Caleb is the greatest. <laughs> but the men who had gone with him, verse 31, said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Let me talk, you know, Andrew Jackson's quote about one guy filled with courage as a majority. One guy or gal filled with and consumed by fear is a majority. It will spread. And you will freak out everybody. So they don't do it. The whole place just starts screaming. We're not going, no way. They're going to kill us. So God says, you know, enough is enough. And he punishes them. And he says, not one of this, not one of this generation is getting into the promised land. They wander in the desert for 40 years. Until everyone dies except for Caleb, Joshua, Moses. And they get right back to the edge of, of the land. And Moses, because of another situation where he was disobedient, he doesn't get to go in. And now this whole community, this whole new community, they're not the ones that originally had disobeyed. They're their children and grandchildren. They're now back at, the right there at the edge of this place again. They're right on the, the banks of the Jordan River. And they're looking across and they can see the promised land. They can smell the campfires where they're cooking their dinner right across there. And that's their land. They were promised that land. 
But they didn't go through this experience before where they had shrunk back in fear. So it wasn't there. They only knew about that from their fathers telling them that. And to make matters worse, Moses, the head honcho, is dead. And now it's this wimpy second in command. Joshua's in charge. And here's where the whole thing picks up in Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Just if you didn't, you know, if you missed the funeral there, Joshua, he's dead. That, that's implying something more than just the obvious, stating the obvious. God is saying, You're the guy. Moses is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give, to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And there it is. Joshua, you're the man. You're the man. You're going to lead them. And you're going. You're all going. And that's it. He gives them the promise. He gives them the certainty of a happy outcome. Without that, it's foolishness. He gives them a certainty of a happy outcome. I made a commitment to Christ in, in, in 1983 when I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota. I'd been dating a girl at that time for about two and a half years. It was a horrible relationship in many ways. In fact, I came down to the University of Minnesota to get away from this person. There was a lot of issues going on with it, a lot of unhealth on, on both our aspects. But she had some things going on in her life, which her family situations and other things, it was kind of a mess. When I told her that I'd made a commitment to Christ, she freaked absolutely freaked. We're sitting in uh, my car in front of her house and she went, she physically hit me. <laughs> uh, crazy, huh? Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I could take her, but uh, <laughs> yeah. No, she was beating on my chest. Like, what are you dummy, you know? What have you done? And um, she got all worked up, just hyperventilating almost, and she ran out of the car. And we'd been dating two and a half years, and I had allowed that tactic to work in my life for two and a half years, for me to chase after her and try to talk to her. And at that moment, I knew one Bible verse. I was 11 days old in my new faith. I knew one Bible verse. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I remember sitting there, and it was like the Lord spoke that only Bible verse I knew at that time into my life, and it was a very clear voice that said, drive away. I'll take care of her. You drive away. And I did it. I drove away. I didn't call. It was a long night. I said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. She called the next day, and, and we worked it out, and we actually at that time broke up, which was a very healthy thing. The thing that helped me get through that and to be courageous with, with her life and her safety and her emotions and everything else was that I trusted in a happy outcome. 
I believed that God was going to take care of this one way, shape, or form. I don't know exactly how, but I knew it. And that's what Joshua's been promised here. A happy outcome. Everywhere, just think about that. If God spoke to you and said, everywhere you put your foot, it's yours. Dude, would I do some walking? It goes on then. God continues to talk to him and he says something over and over to him. And here it is. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will, you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How do you get courage? There it is. There it is. Number one, understand it's a choice. God's not going to command you to be strong and courageous and to not be terrified, not be discouraged. Unless it's a choice, it's a choice. Why would, it, why would God say to them, don't be terrified? Because terror is something you should face when you're doing something that doesn't seem safe. And it's not safe to go against people that you feel like a grasshopper around. Second thing is choose not to let that fear grip you. Don't be terrified. Wow, really? Don't be terrified. You can actually not be terrified. Third thing is change your thought patterns. Look at, look at what he says here. Meditate. It's interesting. People often quote Joshua 1.8 out of context. The context is being scared spitless. That's why you meditate on God's word. Because it changes your mind. You realize, oh my goodness, if God can do that then he can help me with this relationship or this situation or this job or this school or whatever I got going on. He can do that. If he can do that, you, you change your mind. You get a bigger picture of God. You meditate on God's law. Then it says, the last thing he says, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let God penetrate your very life. But there's one last thing you got to do, and it's not in this passage. It's in the next chapter. You got to do it. You gotta step out and do it. Here's just been commanded to do it, and Joshua and, and the people this time, they do it. They step out. Let me ask you a question as we close this morning. What is your BHOG? What is your big, hairy, audacious goal that you are trying to do that only God could make work in your life? What scares you so spitless that God is calling you to do? And you say, God, I want to do that. Whatever it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship that you need to be involved with. That's such a, a huge, hairy, audacious goal in your life. You say, you know what? But God, I'm trusting in you on this. You've talked about restoring relationships. I trust you for a happy outcome. Even if this whole relationship goes south, I know it's what you want me to do and I will be happier on the other side of it. I believe those firemen, knowing that if they were going to die, they would choose it because they'd say, this is a happy outcome to, to choose to give my life for, for another. What is your BHOG? What is God calling you to step out and do? Do it. Let's pray.
Lord, one of the things as I think of uh, this whole series we just left, the Acts series, where we called it the Church on Fire. Lord, the only way the church can be on fire is it's, if it's filled with people who are filled with you, who are nuts about stepping out in faith, who are nuts about saying, God, I, I, I'm, I get a high from trusting you because I watch you do amazing things. I pray for that spirit in this room. I pray that in everyone's life. I have no idea what some people, what they need to go through right now. I have no idea what you're calling them to. You do. So by your spirit, I pray that right now you'd bring those things to mind. You'd give us a spirit, the same spirit that occupied Peter's heart, the same spirit that occupied Joshua's heart. Holy Spirit, that you would come and so fill us that we could walk out of here and be men and women of courage. People who step out and because we've been with you, we're changed and we're different. Lord, I pray for people who this week are going to go through an experience. They may not even know what's coming. None of those guys knew on September 10th what September 11th was going to look like. And so God, this week you're going to call some of us in this room to face, face some things that only by your spirit we're going to make it through. And God, you almost always call us to go right through it. So we need, we need your courage. You've commanded us to not be afraid. You've commanded us not to let things consume us that will take us and terrify us. And the promise is that you, the Lord God will be with you wherever we go. So God, be with everyone in this room. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.